this morning. This is the Word of God that we are reading. This is God speaking to us. And we are talking about the dawn of a new era. We started uh, this last week. We are now in part two of this. The fact that uh, Christ is now introducing a new era. Transitioning from the old covenant into the new covenant. And um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I am grateful that we live in the age, in the era of the new covenant. That uh, yesterday we did not have to get up and go through all sorts of ceremonies and uh, prohibitions in order to keep the law of God. But we are now in the age, in the era of the new covenant so this is the dawn this is the start of it we've been talking about the fact that we've been leading up to it john is the last in the line of the old testament prophets all pointing to the coming of christ last week we saw john has now faded away and now christ is directly and fully on center stage and he is the subject of our text this morning Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. Now let's just, uh, let's just stop there for just a second because Mark is actually skipping some major ministry points in the life of Christ. If you remember, Jesus was baptized in the Judean region somewhere. We're not exactly sure where he was baptized. We know he was baptized in the Jordan River. There are some spots where people really think that he was baptized. Uh, the primary ones seem to be near the city of Jericho. But our text here skips some ministry points of Jesus Christ actually ministering in Judea. And thank the Lord we have the book of John because the Gospel of John helps fill out some details. So I want to kind of give you this morning somewhat of a timeline so we understand what is going on here. Jesus has been baptized somewhere in the region of Judea in the Jordan River. We know that. He's baptized by John. And then he leaves and he goes to Galilee. But this is not what we're talking about here in our text this morning. This is actually him going to Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 where Jesus turns the water into wine. You won't read about that in Mark. So Jesus leaves this region. He makes his way up through the region of Judea into the north and he goes into Galilee and you can read about him turning water into wine, his first sign. And then he makes his way back into Judea. So Judea is in the south. Galilee is in the north. Jesus was in Judea. He goes to Galilee, changes the water into wine. And then he goes back to the southern region of Judea where he cleanses the temple. How many of you remember Jesus going into the temple and cleansing it? And the Bible actually tells us that there are two cleansings of the temple. There is one here in the book of John that we see in John chapter 2. And you can see that starting in verse 13. So Jesus goes in and he 
cleanses the temple at the beginning of his three-year ministry, but he also cleanses the temple toward the end of his ministry. So you have two cleansings. You have him going in and you have him taking care of business in the temple at the beginning, and later on he goes in for a second time and he has to cleanse it again. It just shows, one, the hardness of heart and the deceitfulness of sin, the love of riches. He's there for the Passover, so we see him cleansing the temple in Judea. And then we see him there for the Passover in John chapter 2. This is also the region he's in when he talks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And he says to Nicodemus, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. This is when Jesus is talking to him, this teacher of Israel. And then Jesus heads from Judea and he starts to go back north again. And he heads into Samaria, which is the middle region. So you have Galilee in the north, you have Samaria in the middle, and you have Judea all the way in the south. So Jesus is working his way from Judea. He's heading back to Galilee. So he's going from Judea. He's working his way through Samaria. And in John chapter 4, this is where Jesus meets the lady at the well. And he has a, a, a discussion with her. It's interesting uh, that Jesus would have this wonderful, wonderful uh, conversation with her, even though she was a Samaritan. That is John chapter 4. And eventually he works his way back into Galilee and to start the Galilean phase of his ministry. And this is actually where we pick up in John chapter, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, and Jesus came into Galilee. This is what it's talking about. So this is not talking about him when he has turned the water into wine, but this is talking about months later when he comes back into Galilee to begin this ministry in that region. Now notice what it says here in this verse. It says that he is proclaiming the gospel of God. He's making a proclamation. He is coming and he is saying, I am speaking not only from God, but as God. Uh, Jesus Christ, the, the scripture tells us, is not only fully human, but the scripture is clear that Jesus Christ was not merely just a prophet. He wasn't just a teacher, but Jesus Christ was literally God in the flesh. And Jesus comes proclaiming this gospel or this good news of God. If there's anything that we need to hear, it's a message from God himself. I want us to listen very carefully here this morning. If God does not speak to us, we are dead. If God does not speak to us, we are doomed. There is no hope. I want us to understand something here this morning. No one would ever understand who God is fully unless God speaks to us. There are many people who say that they're on a spiritual journey, that they're looking for God, that they're trying to figure out who God is, and they're on some kind of uh, track where they're trying to listen to the voice of God, some track of spirituality. 
But the Bible actually says that we're not looking for God. In fact, we don't even want to hear him. We don't like his voice. We know that there's a God. We even know some basic things about God, like he's powerful. We understand that there must be a God because of morality. But when it comes to actually hearing the voice of God, no one would actually ever begin to seek for God based upon their own desires and their own skill and their own intellect. In fact, the clear picture of scripture is this, that all of us are scurrying away from God, not wanting to hear his voice. And if he doesn't speak to us, we would come up with all sorts of crazy concoctions about who God is. And that's exactly what we see. People say, well, I think God is like this. God is this, 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 this being in the sky who just forgives everybody regardless of what they do. They don't even need to apologize. He accepts any kind of lifestyle. He's just this wonderful God that you can just do anything you want and he's just fine with that because God is just this big, nice, loving God who just accepts us just the way we are. And you hear people talk like that. Well, where did people hear that from? The question is, is that true? How did people come to that conclusion? You have all sorts of different religions in the world. Recently, I was reading about Buddha and Buddhism, essentially not believing in a personal God. But the question is, on what authority did the Buddha speak? On what authority do any of these religious leaders speak? The truth is we're in utter darkness. The truth is that we are stuck without understanding who God is. We know he exists, but listen carefully, unless God speaks to us, we would never truly know him. And so as we have, as we have said before, the greatest act of judgment in this world is when God is absolutely silent. And we've looked about in the Old Testament at different passages where God is silent. God is judging his people. God is judging the nations. And I don't know if you've ever gotten the silent treatment before. But when God is silent, that's a big problem. And so we would never look for God. We can never hear God correctly just out of our own sinful flesh. We actually need God to break in and we need him to speak as an independent God, as a God who has life in himself. We need God to actually speak to us. And that's exactly what he's done. This wonderful God who has always existed, this eternal God who has no beginning and who has no end, decided to penetrate history with his son and speak to us. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Long ago, God has spoken to us through the prophets. In fact, it says in Hebrews 1, to our fathers, through the prophets. But in these days, in these final days, in this new era, in this new age, the Bible says that he has spoken to us through his Son. 
If you want to hear God speak to you, if you want to know what God sounds like, and there are many people who are interested in this, the starting point is by listening to Jesus Christ. Let me say that in different words. You cannot hear God speak to you unless you are tuned in to his son. It's impossible. There are people who are trying to listen to God. I want to hear God. I want to hear God speak to me. I want to be a spiritual person. I want to be on this path of being good and so forth. But what people need to do if they want to hear God is they actually need to listen to his son. And that's the question this morning to us. Are we listening to God? Are we listening to our own imaginations? Or we, have we come to the point in our lives where we say, I recognize that the only way that I'm going to hear from you is by listening to Jesus. Every person in this room must reckon with who Jesus is. Can I ask you without you answering this out loud, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Have you gotten to the point of where you realize in your own life that the only way to hear from God is to actually listen to God the Son, Jesus Christ? And the Bible says here in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, what does the word gospel mean? Well, the word gospel means good news. It's an announcement. And the announcement is this. God is saving his people from the clutches of sin and death through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the announcement. So Jesus comes and he says, look, mankind is stuck in sin. That's the greatest problem. And Jesus Christ is coming and he's announcing the gospel of God, saying that God is saving a people through all of history and specifically given and revealed in Jesus Christ the Son. He is saving people through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now this is going to be explicitly laid out as we get through the gospel of Mark. But he's saying this. If you want to hear God, you must hear his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice what he goes on here to say in verse 15. He says this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. So the first thing he tells us is that God is acting in history, that he's saving people through his son, saving them from sin, saving them from death. And now he's saying to us that the promised kingdom, this kingdom of God, is actually present among them. It has come crashing in. Now when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about the church but we are talking about the rule and the reign of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the Bible says that God, if we could say anything about God, is that he is a holy king. He's a king. In fact, the scripture tells us over and over again 
that God is sovereign over everything. He rules everything. He's eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. But he started this universe with a very definite beginning. And you and I are now a part of history. And for all of history, for thousands of years, God has been ruling as the king. That is, he's completely sovereign. He's completely in charge. He's ruling. Now, we've noted that Satan has some power and that Satan is the god of this present darkness, the, the world system. But even as one scholar said, Satan is on a rope. He's on a long rope, but he's still on a rope. And God, the scripture says, is ruling and reigning over everything. Let me just stop and ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is a true God, a living God, who is ruling and reigning the affairs of man even right now? Because if we're going to understand the kingdom of God, we've got to understand that Jesus didn't come to just give us some moral lessons. He didn't come just to say, now listen, you need to go to church on Sundays. But he came to actually reveal God to us, the God that we would never know unless Jesus came. And the first lesson he gives us is that God is a king who is saving his people through his son. I want to look at some texts here about God being the king. So why don't we go to Jeremiah chapter 46. Jeremiah chapter 46. Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 18. Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 18. Says this, as I live, declares the what? The king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. We'll stop there. Go back to Psalm 29, please. Psalm chapter 29. Psalm chapter 29. Psalm chapter 29, verse 10. Psalm chapter 29, verse 10 says this. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king. You see it there? As king forever. He's the king. Psalm chapter 103, verse 19. Psalm chapter 103, verse 19. Psalm 103, verse 19. It says this. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom, his kingdom rules over all. So the Bible clearly says that God is a king and he's ruling everything. He's ruling everything. He's sovereign. He's in charge. He's even in charge of what goes on today in your life. He's in charge of how long you're going to live. 
He's in charge of everything that's going to happen in your future this week. He was in charge of when you were born. The Bible says God is simply in charge. But this leads us to a question. If he's in charge, which the Bible so clearly says he is, and the fact that he is sovereign, and the fact that he's ruling over all, we know that. So if someone says to you, is God king? Is the devil in charge of everything or is God in charge of everything? The answer is God is in charge of everything, not the devil. The devil has power and he's been allotted power over this world and this evil system within this world, but he's not ultimately in charge. The question is, if God is the king, why is there so much evil going on? I don't know if you notice this, but every time you turn on the internet, every time you turn on the TV, someone's being killed, children are being killed, there's problems everywhere, there's wars and there's famines and there's problems everywhere. Let me go even further. Have you ever noticed the evil within yourself? It's very easy to talk about, oh, the evil that's out there. The evil that's, that's out there. And if we're not careful, we can, we can have this mentality of, of them, those evil, bad people, uh, versus us. We're the good people. We build walls around us and we say we're going to have a whole bunch of people that are good and on the same path. We're going to put these, these walls around us and we're, we're all going to move to a certain area. We're going to become like the Amish. And then guess what we find? Evil's in the gates. Evil comes within. That's what Jesus said. If you want to see something scary, you don't even have to turn on the internet. All you have to do is look at your own heart. Your own heart. So we have God as king, and yet we see evil everywhere. We have injustice, malice, hatred, envy, strife, selfishness, problem after problem after problem everywhere. And in the Old Testament, the Israelite and the Jewish person, they looked forward to this day when God would break in. When his rule and his reign, his kingdom would literally break into history and solve the problem. Some believed he was going to establish an earthly kingdom that would then, uh, then go into an eschatological kingdom of a new heavens and a new earth. And some just believed he was just going to break in, angels fighting, and all of a sudden just set up this kingdom and everything was going to be wonderful. But regardless of what they believed, they did believe this, that God was going to enter history. And he was going to conquer all of Israel's foes. He was going to conquer every evil kingdom. And he was going to set them up as the preeminent kingdom. He was going to solve the world's problems. God's kingdom was going to break in. 
In fact, we see this prophesied over and over again in the Old Testament. I want to look at just one passage here. If you go to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2. Verse 44, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, God the Holy Spirit is prophetic, and he writes, in the days of those kings, what kings? Well, you have, if you read the book of Daniel, you have Babylon, you have Medo-Persia, you have Greece, and then you have Rome. And every one of these huge empires fell. Babylon, this great, great kingdom comes along, it falls. Medo-Persia comes along, it falls. Greece comes along. Alexander the Great, a kingdom that would seem like it would have no end, and yet he dies at a young age, it falls. Then the Roman Empire comes, and Daniel's prophetically talking about these kingdoms. Kingdoms of the past, kingdoms of the future. And he's noting every one of these kingdoms, it rises and it falls. And by the way, may I just note here for just a second, it doesn't matter how powerful America is. Doesn't matter. We don't know what the future of America is, but let me just say this this morning. Just as surely as it has risen, it can definitely fall. And when we put trust in men and we put trust in our power, we're in big, big trouble. And we've we've got we've got a whole nation of people that just thinks we're so we're so powerful, we got everything figured out, and yet we're falling apart at home. We don't even see the evil in our own hearts. We don't see the fact that everything, everywhere we look, even within the church landscape of America, there is mass confusion. There's a problem. And so what we need is when we look at this world, listen, it's broken. And I don't know if you've ever felt just the despair of this world, but you should. You know, if you're just the person like, everything's wonderful, everything's great. We were just made to live and have a happy, good-go-lucky go life, and then we just die, and that's wonderful, and that's it. Listen, you, you, you've missed it. You've missed it. And we need to see that this world and ourselves were broken. So in the Old Testament, there was this looking forward to this kingdom. And the prayer was, God, break in. In fact, one of the Jewish prayers was, may God establish his sovereignty in your day. That's what they would pray. God, there's too much fighting going on. Lord, there's too many problems going on. There's too much brokenness. God, all these different kingdoms that have come along, they're not, they're not fixing the problem. So the prayer was, God, would you break in? And God did promise a kingdom. Look at verse 44, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. 
nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. Talk about a breath of fresh air. What's God saying? He's saying at some point in history, I'm going to break in. The rule and the reign of God in this chaotic world, I'm going to send my king and he's going to rule and reign and he's going to fix the problems of this world and of this universe. Everything that's been going wrong from, from, from the very beginning when Cain killed Abel and all of the chaos that has ensued, the promise of God is, I'm going to set up an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of holiness. And this kingdom, he promises, this kingdom will have no end. That's the promise. Now, we go back to Jesus in Mark chapter 1. So why don't you look over there. Mark chapter 1. He comes into Galilee. He's proclaiming the gospel. We talked about the good news of God in Christ. He's saving his people. And he's saying this in verse 15. The time is fulfilled. Everything that we've been waiting for, everything that we've been looking for, all of the Old Testament prophecies that are pointing to this coming king and this coming kingdom, he's saying it's here. The kingdom of God is breaking in, not sometime in the future. He's saying the kingdom of God is breaking in right now. The rule and the reign of Christ comes with King Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I'm here. The kingdom that's been prophesied, the kingdom that's been talked about, it is currently breaking in among you. In fact, uh, we see that others recognize this. If you go to John chapter 1, in John chapter, in John chapter 1, verse 49, John chapter 1, verse 49, Nathaniel. Nathaniel answered him, says, Rabbi or teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the what? You're the King of Israel. Saying you're the one. I want you to think about this for a second. This is why Israel's all excited. John the Baptist has been preaching, the Messiah's coming. They're waiting for this coming kingdom, all excited, many, many people being baptized. Then things uh, don't shake out exactly the way people are beginning to expect. John, the primary subject in our study up until this point, he gets thrown in prison. What kind of subject in a new king gets thrown in, new kingdom gets thrown, thrown in prison, but he does. Later he's beheaded. They're all excited about Jesus. Jesus, you're the king. Jesus, you're the man. Jesus, you're the Messiah. And all of a sudden, they began to realize something. Boy, Jesus isn't doing anything about Rome. We thought the kingdom of God was going to be, he like breaks in, overthrows Rome, overthrows these evil emperors, these evil dictators. And Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he's going to set this kingdom of Israel up and we're all going to rule and to reign with him and everything's going to be great. He's going to put all of his political enemies under his feet. 
And yet that's not what happens. Jesus comes in, he says, the kingdom of God, the one that's been prophesied, it's crashing in among you. But you've missed something. Before we get to that part of the kingdom in the future, where all the enemies are crushed and all of that, the first thing Jesus says is this, I want to rule and reign over your heart. I want to deal with something that's much bigger than whether Greece is in charge or Rome's in charge. What he's saying is, I want to be the king of your soul. I want to deal with sin. I want to deal with the fact that mankind has deliberately offended God, has broken the law of a holy God, a God that's righteous, a God that's pure, God that's never done anything wrong. He's the king. And the problem is all of humankind has said, we don't want your kingship and we have broken his laws and his commands and his rules. What the Jews missed is that within the kingdom of God in the New Testament, there's an already and a not yet purpose of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means this, that the kingdom of God has already come, and yet the kingdom of God is still future. It's still coming. So what does that mean? That means that right now, God is dealing with us. He's dealing with our sin. He's dealing with the fact that we've broken the commands of God. He's ruling and he's reigning and he's setting people's lives straight, one person, one soul at a time. This is why Jesus said over and over again, he said, for him who has ears to hear, for him who has ears to hear, let him hear. But there's a future part of the kingdom of God when he is going to come again. And this is why we pray with John the apostle, even so, Come, Lord Jesus. And he is going to rule as a king who defeats all of the worldly enemies that we see, all those who will not follow him. So there's an already part of the kingdom, and there's a not yet. I love what uh, George Ladd says. He says this, God is now the king. He's now the king right now, but he must also become king. So he's king, and yet he must also become king. And as people are listening to this message, they're like, no. No, Lord, we wanted a different message. We thought the rule and reign was about setting us up. We thought we were going like, to be your subjects, and you're going to be like, that a boy, come on in, let's go conquer the enemies. And yet Jesus Christ comes in as this king from another world, and he says, the first thing that I want to talk to you is about sin. And this is why the message, the entry point, is the, is the next part of this verse. Let's look at this here in Mark chapter 1. He gives us what the, the, the entry point to the kingdom of God is. When he says this, last part of verse 15, he says, repent and believe in the gospel. What's he saying? 
saying, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, the entry point is repentance. The entry point is not, are you depressed and you need someone to pick you up? The entry point is not, do you need some more fun in your life? The entry point to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God used synonymously is repentance. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, listen, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must repent of your sin. That's the demand. You must repent. Now, repentance is not like, I just feel bad. You know, there's lots of people. You can go to prison and talk to lots of people. You can talk to family members. You can talk to yourself. And you can find out lots of people feel bad about what they did. I'll raise my hand. You ever feel bad about something you did? Go ahead and raise your hand. You ever feel bad about something? Sure. We all felt bad about something. Listen, that's not repentance. Repentance isn't like, well, I blew it and I really feel bad. Repentance isn't just kind of feeling sorry. Well, I'm just sorry for, you know, I, should, I, I shouldn't have done this. I've made some mistakes in, in my life, and I, I, I just regret it. You know, if I could change some things, I would. That's not repentance. Listen, repentance is a change of heart and mind that says, I have offended God. And I'm sorry I broke the rules and commands of God. I'm sorry I've offended him. I'm sorry I've been his enemy. I'm sorry instead of receiving him that I've rejected him. I'm sorry that when his law has come to me, instead of saying like the psalmist, I love your law, I delight in your law, I've spurned the law of God. I've rejected it. A person who repents is changed in their heart. It's not, it's not just this work. It's, it's not a work. It's not an action. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. Can I ask you a question this morning? Have you ever been grieved that you've offended God? If you haven't, you're not a Christian. You can feel real bad about things you've done and still go to hell. Conviction is Holy Spirit given where I look at the word of God and I say, surely I have fallen short of your glory. I've fallen short. Lord, I'm grieved about you. Lord, I, I feel bad for you. I'm, I'm sorry that instead of following you wholeheartedly, I, I haven't. And just like the sinner that said, what woe is me, he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. That's repentance. And belief, or and faith, and that is belief and faith that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you. I want to give you the gospel in a nutshell, and we're going to close. If someone says to you, what is the gospel? It's not just the good book. Someone says, is the gospel? You say, well, some people refer to the Bible as, as, the, as the good book, or some people refer to the gospels as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's right. But I want you to understand something this morning. There is a specific message within the good book that is the gospel, and it's namely this. It's very simple. The, the good news or the gospel, let me say what it's not. 
the good news or the gospel is not love your enemies. That's not the gospel. That's a law. The good news is, is, is not love God. That's not the good news. That's law. And the problem with that is we don't love God. People say, well, all it's about is loving God. We just need to love God more. We just need to love God. Listen, we don't love God. That's the problem. So if someone comes to you and says, well, what is the gospel? And someone answers, well, it's just about loving God. That's our, our duty. That's law. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not, you know, don't get angry and don't have, have lust and all these things that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. That's not the gospel. The gospel, listen, the gospel is about what God in Christ has done for us. It's good news. And the good news is this, that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that we could never live. That's what he did. And he died in our place bearing the wrath of God, the punishment that we deserve for our sins. He was buried and he rose again bodily from the dead and now he's commanding every person from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit to repent and believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Can we give the Lord a hand this morning? That's the gospel. So if we want to know what the gospel is, it's, listen, Jesus lived in my place, he died in my place, he was buried, and he rose again. It's good news about what Christ has done for us. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's a promise. It's a promise. And Jesus says here, at the end of verse 15, he says, repent... Be moved in your heart and mind and believe that Jesus Christ, that's what believe, believe that Jesus Christ really is the only one who can save you. You must know facts about Jesus, but it goes beyond knowing facts about Christ to actually trusting in him alone to save me. So I'm going to give you a little picture. Someone in this morning is going, what do I need to do? Repent and believe the gospel. You mean I don't have to go to church to be a Christian? It's not going to church that makes me a Christian? Well, going to church is a good thing. Christians should want to go to church, but it doesn't make you saved, does it? You mean being Catholic doesn't make me a Christian? No. You mean being Protestant doesn't make me a Christian? No. You mean if I go out and I'm just a really good guy and I just do my best? And do you know how many people say that? What do you need to do to get to heaven? Well, you just need to try real hard. That's the opposite of what we need to do. That's the opposite. It's not about trying. It's about throwing ourselves on Christ and going, Jesus, I can't save myself. I can't. I can't can't save myself. I need you to have mercy on me. Will you save me? I'm so sorry for my sins. Lord, I trust in you. Lord, I trust in you. And the moment someone does that, the Bible says they are instantly saved because of what Jesus Christ has done. Let's give the Lord another hand this morning.
I'm going to close with three verses, so we're going to have to go through this real quick. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 21, testifying to both uh, to Jews and to Greeks of repentance. There it is again, repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith, two sides of the same coin. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 25 and 26. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance. There it is. Repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And last text, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 38. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. The field is the world. That means... This gospel of good news in Jesus Christ is for the world. It's for the world. I want to ask you today, do you know where you're going? Have you repented and believed in Jesus? Why don't we all stand if we could ask the band to... Please come forward.